just began to focus, things start moving in slow motion. You can see it unfolding. You, you almost know what's going to happen before it happens. Good evening, everyone, and welcome in. It's another edition of Skull Stories. I'm your host, Mike Wabshall, inside TCO Studios at Winter Park. We have a cool conversation coming up with you in a minute. It's legendary Alan Page as your guest on Skull Stories tonight. But first, your current Minnesota Vikings in the midst of a three-game losing streak. They are going to go to Washington on Sunday to try and end that skid. The Vikings have also fallen to 3-3 three and three in the NFC, so Sunday's game of the utmost importance as the Vikings look to get back to a winning record in the NFC and end their losing streak against the Washington Redskins. Of course, you can catch that game right here on the Vikings radio network. Paul Allen, Pete Bursich. Ben Lieber, Greg Coleman will bring you the action from FedEx Field. That game, Sunday, noon central time, one out east where we will be. But more importantly, let's get to tonight's business. That's a conversation with Alan Page here on Skull Stories as we look to transcend the playing field and give you a deeper look at a story that has a profound place in Vikings history. And of course, there may not have been a better Vikings player than Alan Page, the 1971 NFL MVP, of course, a Purple People Eater and a Hall of Famer. We have our lead writer for the Vikings Entertainment Network with us tonight, Craig Peters. He's the one who talked with Alan Page. So, Craig, preview for us a little bit what we're going to hear from Alan Page in this conversation and tell us what it's been like working with Judge Page because you have over the last couple of years. Well, anytime you get an opportunity to learn from one of the game's all-time greats, your ears perk up that much more. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just such a, an incredible contributor not only to this game but to uh, our society as well with the level of accomplishments that he's been able to have off the field. Uh, it's always fun to go back and watch the archival footage and see just sheer dominance at yeah. times and, and wonder what what centers had to do. And then, I mean, he's only playing at about 250, 260 pounds as a defensive tackle. That's yeah. hard to believe, but that's that's a sign of, of where guys on the line were those days. But you just look back and you kind of see – see the carnage. So one of the things I was interested in was uh, the 1971 NFL MVP that you mentioned. He became the first defensive player to ever win that award. Yeah. And a lot of people have said his performance against the Lions that season or in a home game here was the one that solidified it. And uh, he he got really angry with a couple calls, back-to-back penalties. And uh, uh, Detroit moved the ball down the field, but then he also came back and he somehow channeled just this this sheer anger. And it's fascinating to hear about him becoming this version of himself that he really doesn't like and doesn't want to be, yeah. but that's who he had to be in that moment. Yeah, And he just dominates plays, and eventually Detroit's got third and 44 mm-hmm. um, yeah. where, they're, where they're trying. What do you do on a third and 44, Mike? Right. Um Draw. <laughs> yeah, I draw. believe they did, and yeah. I believe he made the tackle on that one, too. I'm not, I'm not surprised if he did. Awesome. Well, a very interesting figure in Vikings history. Craig has a great conversation with him coming up. Let's hear from Justice Page. So excited to be joined by Hall of Famer and retired Minnesota Supreme Court Justice Alan Page. Justice Page, welcome to the program. Well, thank you. Good to be here. Start with what growing up in Canton was like. Your your career led you there, led you home again, but kind of what shaped you early on in Canton that enabled you to go on to do the things that you've been able to accomplish? I think primarily 
what shaped me was family, parents who were strict but loving, brothers and sisters uh, who made sure that I didn't get into too much trouble. You know, growing up, um, we all have the potential for great success or great failure. And it's to some degree the luck of the draw, but having that support, which allows you to discover who you are, make mistakes, but at the same time keeps you from making such big mistakes that they become life-altering. And I had that kind of family support. During your teenage years, construction on the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, uh, you, you worked and helped uh, with concrete, I believe. I had about five minutes on the on the job site, but they were, I, I, I remember them well. Let me just say that. It was hot. It was uh, dusty. And the work was hard. When you look back now, is it hard to imagine that that, that place has, has become such a significant one for so many players and coaches and contributors to this game? It never would have occurred to me at the time the real meaning of what was being built. So clearly, growing up in Canton, Ohio, I understood about football and its importance, but I'm not sure I know what the right word is, but the, the, the meaning, the feeling that comes with bringing that to the community and the way it's grown and developed into being uh, one of the premier sports museums in the world, that's pretty special. I believe you uh, had some time with a, a sousaphone <laughs> growing up, and then uh, football. You, it, it was it was undeniable the talent that you that you found on the football field. And what was it like to kind of discover? Well, it was it was clear that the lack of talent with the sousaphone meant that if I was going to have success somewhere, it wasn't going to be there. It was going to be on the athletic field. Uh, the opportunity to play at Notre Dame, you know. You look back on my athletic career, Central Catholic High School in Canton, and at the time, one of the top teams in the state, then on to the University of Notre Dame with its storied history, coming here to the Vikings and being a part of really creating a rich tradition, and then ending with the Chicago Bears with their history. It's, quite frankly, in retrospect, hard to imagine that I would have all that good fortune to be with the people that I was, the good fortune to be around such talented coaches, players. It's It's been quite special. This this team did uh, move up in its, in its stature early in your career. You know, you, you arrive in 1967, it's an expansion franchise, but by the end of the decade, it has turned the corner and wins the NFL championship, the accomplishments that you guys were able to put together. Can you, can you describe, was that ahead of where you thought this team could get? Well, you know, from a player standpoint, you always think you're going to be the best, no matter what the circumstances are. When you have that three, eight and three season, when you start each of those games, you think you're going to go out and win and perform and do well. And so there, there is always that sense that you're going to be the best. But having that sense and making it happen and becoming the best are two different things. What made it for us, what got us around the corner, 
is we turned into a team. We started playing together as a team rather than a collection of individuals. I think early on, there were lots of talented players here. Clearly, uh, we went 3-8-3 and my first year. The next year was, I think, 8-6 and and then 12-2, and basically with the same players. And the, the difference was that we figured out how to work together. I feel like that was such a key to the success of the front four in, in the way that you guys were so talented individually. But then when you, if you look at the videos, there, a lot of you are getting there at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, it was a race. It was a foot race. And you didn't want to be the last one there. <laughs> What is that bond that that you guys were able to build together and and stay together as teammates for so long mean to you? When you work together, sweat together, win and lose together, and when you have to rely on each other, you get to know each other in a way that is different than the, the casual way that oftentimes we get to know other people. You start to think a little bit alike. You start to know and understand what and where everybody else is going to be at any given moment. And um, it's really a special time in a, in, a, in, a, in a sport when you can come together like that. A lot of players never have that good fortune. I was lucky enough to have that really at every stop along the way. 1971 against the Lions is is a game that multiple people talk about just sheer dominant performance by you and the one that secured the first MVP to a defensive player. What what do you remember from that game and and what was it like to to find out that you were going to be the first defensive MVP? I just remember we were for the most part in control and I think the first call was an offsides, and I didn't think I was offsides. Then the next play might have been roughing the passer, and I'm still trying to figure out what that was all about. You you try to do this all the time, but I just began to focus, and um, it became one of those series of plays in which things start moving in slow motion, but you can see it unfolding. You, you almost know what's going to happen before uh, it happens. And for, I think, three or four or five plays in a row, whatever it was, after I think it was probably a cumulative 25 or 30 yards in penalties, managed to make up that 30 yards and then some. And then we were able to block the punt at the end of that series, um, was really, when I think about it, was really quite something. Although, when I also think about it, I think I wouldn't want to be that person very often. You get to be in a, a, a very strange place, uh, mentally and emotionally, and I don't think I'd want to go there very often. Okay, great stuff from Craig Peters and Alan Page so far. We'll get back to more of it after the break. First, Join host Mike Musman along with Terrence Newman at Big Louie's in New Brighton on Thursday at 5.30 p.m. for a live broadcast of Vikings Country, 
you could win some great prizes, including tickets in the Miller Lite Lounge at U.S. Bank Stadium. Visit vikings.com slash vikingscountry for more info and the full schedule. Stay tuned because we're coming back in a minute. We're back at Skull Stories. I'm your host, Mike Wobshaw. More of our conversation with Alan Page coming up in a minute. But first, remember that 2016 exclusive inaugural season gear is at the Vikings Locker Room Store, open at U.S. Bank Stadium. For novelty items and apparel, visit the official Vikings Locker Room Store at Mall of America, U.S. Bank Stadium, and online at vikingslockerroom.com. Let's hear some more from the great Alan Page. Those that may not be the football fans or, or even Vikings fans for a long time, but have seen you post career, would almost have a hard time believing you're the same person out there. With I figured out early on that you have to be able to put yourself in a frame of mind to play the game. I mean, the game is violent, and you have to be fierce, if you will, to perform. That said, I also recognize that by my nature, that's not me. I would rather try to figure out how to solve a problem than to fight over it. Well, a football game is a fight. I also had the, 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 the common denominator between the two was this understanding that trying to perform as well as you can, there, there is some artistry in it and trying to perform at a level that exceeds your expectations. Forget about other people's expectations, but exceeds your expectations and do it in a way that is beneficial to the purpose for which you're trying to to do whatever it is you're doing. So that uh, if you're on the football field trying to perform as your task as well as you can and do as much as you can in the context of the team sport is, is has some of the same qualities of working on a court of seven, trying to figure out what the right answer is and being relentless in pursuit of that right answer. Not only in pursuit of the right answer, but in doing the work, in doing the, in the context of the law, the writing, the research, what have you, in a way that seeks perfection, knowing clear, full well that you're never going to reach perfection. But understanding that if you strive for it, you will get closer than if you don't. How did your time as, as a player's representative shape your, your desire to go on and, and have the legal career that you've had? My time as a player rep was, you know, focused on players' rights. The law is about people's rights, civil rights, human rights, legal rights from the time growing up as a young black kid in Canton, Ohio in the 1950s when we were a nation that had permitted, endorsed, encouraged state-sponsored segregation, state-sponsored discrimination. That work trying to protect and increase players' rights was something very important to me. And it, I suppose if you look for another thread from my early days, it's believing in and trying to ensure that all people are treated fairly. 
Were teammates surprised at kind of the, the gusto you had to pursue uh, your legal degree during your football career? You know, I don't, I don't know. I didn't, I never spent a lot of time thinking about what others were thinking about my uh, pursuing a legal career or pursuing a legal education. I was trying to learn the law, which is a challenge, a significant challenge. I, I found that fascinating. So I didn't spend a lot of time sort of thinking about or actually paying attention to what others thought. I was involved in trying to pursue both the intellectual as well as the legal understanding that comes with learning the law. And quite frankly, I, I love the process. You know, from a very early age, I had wanted to be a lawyer. I mean, people would ask me when I was in the fourth grade, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I'd say I wanted to be a lawyer. Now, as a fourth grader, I didn't have a clue what the law is about, how you became a lawyer. Uh, but over time, I became convinced that the law was about solving problems and helping people. 1954, the United States Supreme Court decided Brown versus the Board of Education. And the impact of that on me was tremendous because it was a case about human rights, civil rights, and fairness. That was a very big influence. You played for Coach Buddy Ryan here for two seasons, and then in Chicago, I believe you uh, kind of helped lend support to, to Buddy Ryan when he came under duress in Chicago. What was it about him that, that really made you want to do that, and what did you love about playing for him? Buddy was a special human being. I mean, he was a genius when it comes to football. And there are a lot of smart people that understand the nature of football, but Buddy could explain it in simple terms so that players could understand. He also had that charisma that got players to believe and to follow. I can remember one day we were, I don't know who we were playing. This was in Chicago. And we were having problems with something. And Buddy starts drawing X's and O's on the artificial turf. You know how you used to get down in the, in the dirt and do, do this, do that, and he was doing it on the artificial turf. And, you know, it doesn't show up on the turf, right? No. But you could see it. You could understand it. That's the kind of person he was. You also played for Coach Neil Armstrong, also passed earlier this year. What, what's a great memory you have of, of playing for him? Neil, both here and in Chicago, was rock steady. He didn't get flustered or perturbed. He had a sense of what he wanted and what he wanted done. He would put you in the position to do it and expect you to do it. Never got flustered, even in the face of very difficult circumstances. But um, I had the good fortune of both here and Chicago of playing for both Buddy and Neil, and also 
for Jim Finks, who was here uh, when I arrived. And he's the one that uh, was responsible for me coming to Chicago. Those were, um, those were good years. Finks was, uh, uh, arrived in Minnesota in 64, went on to the Hall of Fame as well, um, was, was part of the, was major architect of, the of this, of this franchise. Very much so. Very much so. That 1967 draft is is one for the ages uh, of of any team ever in any sport, probably. It was a pretty special group of people. I mean, Clint Jones, Gene Washington, Bobby Bryant, Jeff uh, Jeff Wright, and others. I mean, it was it was pretty incredible. Well, you've you've played in Canton and Notre Dame at Notre Dame, and then in Minnesota when games were still outdoors, and then in Chicago at Soldier Field. So everyone naturally thinks a lot of cold weather games, but it's surprising to find out that that your coldest game ever wasn't one of those bright, sunny, blue-skied Minnesota zero-degree days. The coldest I've ever been on a football field or any place else was in Atlanta, Georgia. It was a December game. I think it was the last game of the season. Might have been, I don't know, 69, 70. I don't know precisely. It was about 37 degrees. It was windy. The winds were gusting. And it was pouring rain. And it poured rain the whole time. After three hours out in the cold, I mean, it was... You were pretty cold at halftime. By the end of that game, I was as cold as I've ever been. I can remember uh, when it was over, getting in the shower and not wanting to get out and not being able to get warm. I mean, I spent 20, 25 minutes in the shower and the water was as hot as it could be and still couldn't get warm. Couldn't shake it. You need the the chicken broth that they use now, right? Needed chicken broth and a whole lot more. I mean, it was it was something. It was something, and I I, I wasn't the only one that was cold. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you go into the Hall of Fame, you you see a great opportunity to really make an impact on others. Uh, you decide to launch the Page Education Foundation. It, I believe it's in its twenty ninth year. Yes, uh, we are. Uh, just describe the, what it's been like to to have that long-term run of a franchise and, and a bright future for it. We started the foundation in 1988 as part of uh, my induction into the Hall of Fame to, to, to use that opportunity to try to do something to help others. If somebody had asked me then what my expectations were, I would have said, you know, if we can raise $100,000, $200,000 and help uh, some young people, that would be great. Here we are 29 years later, 6,500-plus page scholars, $13 million in financial grants, and each one of those scholars having committed time and energy to work with young children kindergarten through eighth grade to help them understand the importance and the value of education. Literally, 
we have changed the future. Those scholars have changed the future for themselves and for all the rest of us. They have, working with young children, made the world a better place. And um, quite frankly, they're my heroes. They're the ones that inspire me. They're the ones that give hope for a brighter future, especially on days when the world looks pretty grim. But it's the, it's the effort that our scholars have given to bring about positive change that um, inspires me and, as I say, gives me hope for the future. Lastly, um, so you, you're still running and you're uh, you could use you using that term loosely yes i am still running okay still running still uh making maple syrup still making maple syrup and we've uh this year we took on in addition to maple syrup blackberry jam and peach jam and blackberry jelly where can people find that if they, if they want to try it well the best place is at uh one of our galas in the, in the silent auction, we always put some in there. We've produced enough to ensure that there will be some around for the future. Sounds great. Well, Justice Page, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. It's, I've enjoyed it. So as you can hear, obviously, a really interesting uh, story for Alan Page, one of the most interesting Vikings that we've had, a, a guy who's a Hall of Famer and a guy who grew up in Canton and literally helped build the foundation for the Hall of Fame, and now he's enshrined there. That, that's kind of fascinating when you think about the image of him uh, doing uh, dusty cleanup work as the, yeah. as the concrete's getting poured and you, you don't even know what the Hall of Fame is going to become and mean uh, the significance it's going to have for people that have meant so much to this game. And then he turns around and uses that crowning achievement as an opportunity to start doing great things for others. It's really neat to see that he established the Page Education Foundation. It's almost 30 years strong, and the way they have it set up is that current uh, students receive scholarship help for helping younger students learn. And so it's great mentorship, great leadership, uh, really benefits our community quite well. Yeah, it, it's not hyperbole. Here's a guy who was a great player but made a bigger difference maybe off the field before his career and after his career was over. Um, Alan Page. I think he's probably as proud of that as anything in yeah. a long list of accomplishments. And that could be one thing that stands out the most about him is um, you know, that the persona he had off the field, he maybe takes more pride in than the one he had on the field. And the one he had on the field was one of the greatest of all time. Uh, that's what makes his story so interesting. That's why he was the subject of a football life with NFL Network, and that's why he was a guest on Skull Stories. Great job, Craig, with the interview. Thanks very much. All right, that's going to do it for tonight's Skull Stories. Remember, again, the Vikings, they play on Sunday. They're going to try and end their losing streak. They play the Washington Redskins. The game kicks off at noon central time right here on the Vikings Radio Network. So on behalf of our lead writer at the Vikings Entertainment Network and everyone uh, at the Vikings Entertainment Network, for Craig Peters, for producer Nate Vaughn, I'm your host, Mike Wobshaw. This edition of Skull Stories is over. Have a great evening, everyone.